Welcome to the ORF podcast, Policy Pod. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to the ORF's Ideas Factory. I'm Nakma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. Let's look at the highlights this week. The US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman visits India and Pakistan with different agendas what does her visit signify what does it mean for india pakistan and the region and of course the question of afghanistan we we'll look at that uh, the second point that we shall be looking at another highlight is the us china uh, talks regarding taiwan the us china agree on following the taiwan agreement but at the same time the tension between taiwan and china is the worst in 40 years and we will also look at EU and Poland is Polexit a possibility now how will it impact the EU how will it affect Poland and its economy so all that um, some of the and of course we will be look, taking some of your questions that you've been sending us um, so uh, we'll uh, first start part with Wendy Sherman's visit harsh a very warm welcome to you and let's look at the US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman's visit to Pakistan and uh, India and though she has also visited Pakistan she has made a very interesting comment and said that there is no interest in returning to days of hyphenated India and Pakistan a uh, very interesting comment there saying that she visited Pakistan with a specific purpose and the agenda was different what does her visit signify uh, the, the visit to this area and also the comments on afghanistan the talks about china um, what does it mean for the india us strategic partnership uh, thanks nagma i think you know what when we look at the trajectory of indo us relations today uh, uh, they tell you a story of two uh, very close partners trying to come to terms with a world that is changing rapidly around them and i think every question therefore every issue attains uh, a new salience in the light of of these developments and uh, increasingly if you look at the biden administration the level of uh, engagements that we have had with biden administration is quite significant and speaks i think uh, 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 you know uh, the optics speak for themselves not only has the prime minister visited not only have has he had uh, engaged not only has he engaged with the with the us president a number of times both virtually and in person uh, which happened last month uh, during the quad summit but also the fact that you have we have had successive um, a succession of high level visits to india uh, secretary of state uh, secretary of defense and now of course the deputy secretary of state coming to india uh, you know wendy um, wendy wendy sharman's visit uh, an important uh, element in that continuous high level engagement between two countries that see themselves as uh, natural partners and i think what but what happens is that every time there is pakistan uh, you know when when a us official visits pakistan there are questions in india about Uh, what is happening are we again being hyphenated uh, is this something that is going to cause uh, damage to our long term e- engagement and i think uh, shaman was talking to that constituency in india uh, where she in a very in a very forthright sense uh, alluded to the fact that us pakistan relationship is not going to go back uh, to that period uh, where they were close uh, allies i think what she's she's telling the world and to indians and that look this is a new era new new partnerships us india engagement stands on its own merit it stands um, it 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 is about much bigger things much broader things much more strategic things than say a limited set of agenda as she said as, as she said vis-a-vis pakistan 
So I think largely we are looking at uh, America or Washington try, trying to find a new modus vivendi with uh, Islamabad and Rawalpindi, uh, especially in the context of post-Afghanistan uh, scenario. And therein, I think, lies both a challenge for India and an opportunity. Because the challenge is that there is, a, you know, there is an entire campaign going on now from the top levels of uh, Pakistani establishment of pushing American strategic community into believing that incentivizing Taliban is going to be the norm, should be the norm, that you should engage with, uh, America should engage with them and legitimize them and recognize them and move forward. That's the only way to solve Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan conundrum. And I think uh, the, the challenge for India is how does India counter that narrative and how does other, uh, how do other like-minded countries, like-minded partners of India counter that narrative? And I think closer engagement on Afghanistan that we are witnessing between India and the US is one way of, of dealing with it. But I think there is also that opportunity that after a long time, uh, US, uh, America, uh, US's reliance on Pakistan perhaps is at its lowest ebb. You know, uh, they are out of Afghanistan. They don't really need uh, Pakistan. Pakistan will make a case time and time again that they, you know, that they rely, that they need, they are needed. But I think uh, the message that we are getting now from from Sherman and others is that a new that Washington is looking for new terms of engagement with, with Pakistan. So I think that is what India will have to carefully watch. But I think Sherman categorically stated that in India that she is looking at Pakistan or, or the Biden administration is looking at Pakistan through a limited set of agenda, and that agenda is being pursued in is being pursued in consultation with India. And I think that's a very important aspect of this engagement going forward. Of course, it's really significant. She's saying that that we we are engaging with Pakistan on a limited agenda and not interested in going back to uh, our relationship the way it was with Pakistan. She's also spoken harsh about AUKUS and its significance. Would you like to elaborate upon that? Well, clearly, it shows uh, you know Biden administration's focus on the Indo-Pacific, and she said that AUKUS can be a game changer. Uh, so, you know, looking at China, China's presence, the threat and the tension between China and U.S. vis-a-vis uh, -vis Taiwan, all that uh, being there, the significance of AUKUS that she has pointed towards. Uh, yes, because I think, uh, you know, for, for, for the U.S., Indo-Pacific is the real theater uh, of activity. They are focused on it. They are committed to it. And of course, what is happening with Taiwan, what is happening with some of their closest, some of America's closest allies in the Indo-Pacific is an indication that that's a theater that is going to be the fulcrum of their engagement in the region, uh, not, notwithstanding whatever is happening on, on India's Western frontier. I think that will remain an important aspect of America's engagement, but increasingly Indo-Pacific uh, and, and India's eastern frontier, the Pacific, is where America is really investing its diplomatic energies on. And there is there and there has there have been concerns expressed in India about AUKUS. And I think Sherman uh, looked uh, and engaged with that subject by arguing, uh, and in my opinion, rightly so, that you have a plethora of engagements arrangements in the region. Most of them are actually complementary to each other. Whether it's AUKUS, whether it's Quad, whether you're looking at America's bilateral engagements with a number of partners, or even sitting here in New Delhi, if you look at India's own engagements with a number of India's partners, I think the agenda of AUKUS uh, is very clear. It's a it's a tripartite security arrangement. Uh, it's a it's a it's an almost an alliance relationship between three countries that have been long-standing alliance partners. With Quad, the agenda is wide-ranging. And that's something that India as a non-alliance uh, non partner of the U.S. is beginning to engage with 
uh, a set of countries in the Indo-Pacific that have similar worldview uh, as far as the Indo-Pacific stability is concerned. So whether it is vaccine diplomacy, whether it is engagement on, on supply chains initiative, whether it is the issue of uh, climate change, on all of these issues, India is willing to engage, as, as India has repeatedly said, with like-minded partners on an issue-based agenda. So I think for, for Sherman, it was important to clarify that in India, because there has been a lot of debate around that as to whether America, U.S. is trying to divide uh, you know, the region, whether, whether U.S. is looking at it uh, through a strategic and non-strategic prism. I think Sherman, uh, in her own way, has tried to put an end to that, to that debate. But I'm sure that, that it will continue for some more time till we have greater operational understanding of how these various uh, structures are going to work. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, we spoke about the Indo-Pacific region and the threat to stability in this region, of course, is China's increasing aggression. Um, and China is seeing all kinds of groupings as a direct challenge to China's rise. But well, let's look at what's happening in Taiwan. The tension between China and Taiwan is at an all-time high. If you look at the last 40 years, a record number of uh, Chinese sorties have been flying over the Taiwan defense airspace. And today, Xi Jinping has vowed a reunification, a peaceful reunification of China with Taiwan. At the same time, on Twitter, if you see the trends, it's also the trend of Taiwan is not China is also trending. Now, all that is going on. And at the same time, the Biden administration or the talk between Xi Jinping and Biden uh, that took place, uh, very clearly Biden said that we will abide by the Taiwan agreement. So U.S. and Chinese diplomats have also met. The Taiwan agreement has also been talked about. At the same time, the U.S. soldiers are apparently also training uh, in Taiwan. Uh, U.S. has been helping Taiwan with its defense. So Biden has to tread a very fine line, probably finer than ever, balancing between China and Taiwan. Uh, yes, I think this is a very delicate moment in the strategic uh, evolution of the, uh, of, the, of the region and of, I think, uh, China-Taiwan ties, because China is clearly under pressure. Uh, from multiple uh, points you know we know uh, we know the stories that are coming out from within china about economic pressures on china energy pressures and energy uh, challenges that china is facing and of course the pressure that china is now confronted with is that increasingly the like-minded countries in the region are willing to stand up to china on on issue after issue and they are they are willing to respond to that they are willing to uh, you know almost make up make their presence felt they are making it very clear that from infrastructure from uh, you know uh, from uh, trade and, and technology uh, from uh, supply chain resilience almost all of these issues are now being looked at very carefully and like-minded countries are willing to work uh, in coalitions uh, to stand up to, uh, to to what many of them feel is chinese aggression and i think that puts china under pressure especially xi jinping under pressure because his entire presidency uh, his is premised on this belief of, of Chinese national rejuvenation, and so any uh, any sign that uh, that shows him in a weaker spot will be uh, can be extremely damaging for him politically. And Taiwan presents a unique case because increasingly, if you think about uh, the move away from uh, from all the wars that America has been fighting, now as America's footprint grows in the Indo-Pacific, Taiwan is one uh, you know area. Taiwan is one issue which in a way has mobilized not only American body politic, but also global public opinion. The kind of focus on Taiwan today is at its high, you know, we have not seen in a, in a very, very long time. Of course, as the, China, as the Taiwanese minister himself has said that the tensions are very high, but it must also be recognized that the world is looking at Taiwan through a very different lens post-COVID. 
And as China becomes more uh, aggressive, there is great sympathy for Taiwan in, in large parts of the world. And uh, the world community is sort of coming together and saying that, look, uh, something needs to be done about Taiwan. So I think that also puts pressure on uh, on China. That I, and, and so the whole debate on reunification, on, on how that uh, unification will happen, that uh, there is a there is a new spotlight. Now, of course, uh, this is uh, this is the week when Taiwan celebrates its national uh, day, and uh, and uh, uh, Xi Jinping had to respond to that. So he's, uh, you know, in in some ways again promising that unification will happen, that uh, you know we will become one China and two systems policy. But no one really buys that argument after Hong Kong in Taiwan. We have seen. How the how the public sentiment has has been eroding eroding uh, and and it's going away from China. So clearly, I think on multiple fronts, China is under pressure, and that makes for a very dangerous situation because that allow you know that that can easily lead to miscalculations and misunderstandings. And so for Mr. Biden, and I think for the U.S., uh, it 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 is also it also creates a dilemma. You know, Washington has to ensure that certain red lines are not crossed. But they also have to ensure that uh, China does not become uh, so anxious that it it uh, reaches out for for guns. So in that in that context, I think the the, the you know the engagement between Biden and Xi uh, this week was interesting and important because it's in a way Washington was reiterating one China policy, but uh, Washington is also committed to help Taiwan defend itself. So so therefore everything that America has done in the past few years. And there is a greater urgency to it in terms of defense spending, in terms of defense help that America can provide. And as you were mentioning, in terms of operational and tactical uh, you know, training that, that American forces can provide to the Taiwanese forces. And as I think the situation evolves, there, there's going to be pressure not only on, on Washington, but increasingly on the entire region, because uh, Taiwan Straits uh, sit at the heart of the Indo-Pacific. And of course, all countries in the region will be at, at some point will come under pressure uh, to enunciate their policies much more categorically. So I think it is in no one's interest that it, that it boils beyond the point. But China is, and I think, is increasingly making it very, very difficult for other countries not to take a position given the bellicosity that it is showing and the pressures that I think Xi Jinping is facing both at home and internationally. So, uh, of course, uh, Xi Jinping is uh, clearly facing a lot of pressure internally, uh, which is why he has reiterated that this will be sorted out uh, without any interference from any other country. Today, he's again uh, said that very categorically that peaceful reunification with Taiwan will happen and it does not need any interference from any other country. But uh, like you pointed out, Biden has to maintain a very fine balance to tread a very fine line, uh, balancing uh, between recognizing the one China policy and popping up Taiwan's ability to defend itself. Uh, another issue that um, I would like you to comment upon is the, is Poland actually moving away from EU? Is that a possibility? This already on the uh, lines of Brexit, a term that is now being used as Polexit, that Poland will exit EU. EU membership relies upon a complete and unconditional adherence to a common value and rule. And EU has warned uh, that it will use uh, you know, all its powers against Poland. Poland's high court has challenged uh, the supremacy of EU law. Looking at all this, and if this happens, if Poland actually exits EU, how will it affect Poland economically? Especially this is a time after the pandemic when it could have received a lot of uh, grants being a member of the EU. But now if it moves out of EU, 
uh, how will that affect its economy and what does it really mean for the european union you know i think this is this uh, this episode with poland once again points to the fundamental problem that european union is facing uh, you know as uh, it tries to uh, make a, a case for uh, this sort of uniformity across various countries and in uh, a, a uniform approach not only domestically in domestic laws but also in international politics and i think that is uh, brexit was a manifestation of the uh, dissatisfaction that many in britain felt uh, about the the control from brussels and i think what poland is demonstrating this case is demonstrating that there is that it you know it, that uh, this that 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 dissatisfaction is also something that other nations are feeling and we have we have talked in the past you know about how uh, during the high high tide of covid there were countries like italy also expressing uh, you know and spain also expressing their uh, their dissatisfaction with the way brussels was was treating them so i think uh, you know there is a trend here in terms of the democratic deficit that many that many countries feel that you have a technocracy a technocratic elite in brussels that are devoid of of a ground level engagement uh, with the countries in question and therefore uh, a dissatisfaction emerges that look we are, our views are not being represented now the the national governments represent uh, that uh, that democratic element you know they are the ones that that represent the sentiments uh, in some ways of the ordinary population of poland in this case now if they are saying that they are they are dissatisfied with the way european law takes supremacy over the domestic laws then i think this is something that a sovereign state anywhere in the world would articulate and this is to brush it aside uh, uh, would continue to cause this problem and this hemorrhaging of support uh, for european union that that you know some have witnessed in some countries that that, are, that has been witnessed is i think that that manifestation of this desire to break the shackles from uh from this dependence on brussels and this control that brussels exerts now it is going to be a, you know it, i don't think this is going to uh, resolve one way or another very soon i don't think it's in the interest of the polish elite uh, to uh, you know to say that well enough is enough and we are moving out and i think there there is also some evidence that uh, you know polish nationals themselves are divided on this question we we don't have the, the surveys are not one way or 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 the other but i think that the question that this this episode is raising is once again how can european union make itself relevant to contemporary realities that the older institutional structure is no longer serving the interests and what can the european union do to manage some of these contradictions you know it is uh, it, it is a conglomeration of some of the most diverse democratic countries in the world and yet uh, you have this feeling of democratic deficit that that brews up again and again and again so something needs to go but what it's not entirely clear and i think uh, given that the challenges will, that stakes are very high again uh, you know if this debate starts uh, taking gathering momentum uh, mm-hmm. either in poland or in other countries which uh, some of these other countries also have similar views on on these yeah. questions yeah. then i think it would be very damaging for the european union so yeah so the dissatisfaction that many nations are facing is actually now being voiced and you're saying that it's time that european union looks within and looks at actually reorienting itself and changing itself the polish pm has also commented that eu should not be only a grouping of those who are equal or more than or more equal 
you know so that's an important comment uh, we have uh, time uh, you know only for uh, this much on this episode of the ideas factory but before we close harsh i would like you to answer at least one question that our viewers have sent jaydeep gadavi is asking though uh, it's it's not really related to what we've been discussing today but he's asking as far as international discussion about prevention of terrorism act of sri lanka is concerned do you think india is better off leaving it as an internal matter of sri lanka or raise it along the along with the 13 amendment uh, would you like to comment upon that well i think at this point it seems to me that uh, that uh, you know that india will have to engage with it bilaterally with sri lanka rather than making it a multilateral issue and i think india and in india and sri lanka have enough channels available bilaterally to to take this matter forward uh, you know for india it's always a delicate matter uh, when it wants to engage with its neighbors most of its neighbors feel that india already is uh, Uh, is this big brother and that that tries to intervene in their domestic matters so i think india has to be very sensitive to some of these issues especially when it when it when it concerns its neighbors and we have to be sensitive uh, to the fact that this is also a reflection of their own uh, politics responding to a uh, you know to, to the to the challenge that they perceive that they are that they are facing we may have a different point of view but i don't think multilateral uh, you know raising it up multilaterally when we have options available bilaterally is the way to go All right. Thank you so much, Hush, for uh, for the answer, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Do send in your questions. We shall see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.